Hello to everyone listening and welcome to the Property Insights Podcast by Select Property Group. Featuring different guests from all over the world, our podcast aims to educate first-time and seasoned investors to help them make the most successful property investments based on their objectives. I'm Amber Fur, and today I'm talking to our UK sales manager based in our South Manchester office, Heather Ozongan, who has been at Select Property Group for eight years. Thank you for joining me today, Heather. Hi, Amber. Thank you for having me. So in this second episode, we're going to talk about the different property sectors in the UK, exploring how both the residential and student sectors have evolved in recent years due to changing tenant demand. For the residential market, Heather is going to compare buy-to-let with build-to-rent investments, and within the student market, we'll be comparing purpose-built student accommodation with student houses of multiple occupancy. So, Heather, a good place to start. What is the difference between buy-to-let and build-to-rent investments? Yeah, of course, Amber, and I think this is a really interesting point, actually, because certainly over more recent years, the face of the UK's rental market has evolved quite significantly, I'd say, from what it was historically. And it naturally is becoming considerably more focused now around the needs and requirements of the end user, which is, of course, the tenant. Um, And this is where build to rent really comes into play. So just to explain then the differences between um, buy to let and build to rent, as they are two very different sectors, So buy-to-let is the more traditional model where an individual house or an apartment, let's say, is rented out to a tenant and typically they don't tend to have any facilities. Build-to-rent is essentially purpose-built luxury apartments in prime city centre locations which are designed completely with the end user in mind. So very different from the apartment buildings that were being produced, let's say, 10 or 15 years ago, which featured very little in the way of communal facilities, so maybe a concierge and a better gym. Uh, These offer so much more now to the tenant and encourage a more overall community feel within the building. And I think this is something we've done really well with our own build-to-rent brand, Affinity Living. Our first building within the brand was delivered just before the start of the pandemic, actually. Within its first year, we've achieved 100% occupancy, which I think just demonstrates the appetite within the rental market for this new approach and, and this new model. Mm. Our properties within this sector reflect actual tenant demand right down to the finer details. And not only do we build and create spaces with the tenants demands in mind but we also create positive tenant experiences within our buildings as well Um, and we really focus on achieving a sense of community you know through doing things like for example organizing events uh, and encouraging interaction between the tenants themselves even down to features like an app enable tenants to ensure for example a parcels delivered or that their pets being walked. Okay, so it seems like it really is about the living experience for today's tenants. You know, they really do see the value in the quality and the facilities of their homes, Mm. as well as location. Um, So speaking of location, let's talk about Manchester, a huge investment location for both investors and tenants. How would you describe the build to rent market in Manchester at the moment? Okay, well, um, I think a lot of investors, certainly I've spoken to through many discussions over the past few years, are very keen to explore more regional investment opportunities now. And I know Manchester has been, uh, you know, a very key focus for them and also for us as a business. So just to go into a bit more detail, 
In a recent report on Manchester's rental market, there were a few really interesting findings, all of which supported the fact that there is now this significant shift of tenants away from the more traditional buy-to-let properties and towards properties within the build-to-rent sector. And indeed, Manchester now has, I think, the largest build-to-rent market um, outside of London. So last December, for example, build-to-rent apartments were achieving just over £180 per month more on average than regular apartments in Manchester city centre. And if you drill down on the facts and figures now, Manchester has close to 8,000 build-to-rent apartments, which is quite significant. So this has to be driven by actual demand. And the city also has a very high population of young professionals under the age of 35, which is the ideal demographic for the build-to-rent sector, of course. So um, another interesting fact is that a really high percentage of the city's population rent as well, as opposed to owning their own homes. I think it's around 80%, in fact. So it's an absolutely key market for build-to-rent opportunities. Absolutely. And I know the BBC reported a third of millennials will now rent their entire lives, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to achieve that high quality living experience that they might not otherwise be able to afford through purchasing a property. So it just, again, really reinforces that sort of tenant experience and the living experience that people are after. So could you explain a little bit more about why build to rent would appeal to this target rental market more so than traditional buy to let? Of course. So we find in our experience that the typical tenant demographic for build to rent are, you know, young people, Generation Y, working in the city, who are ultimately prepared to pay a premium to live in spaces that have been specifically created from the ground up with their needs in mind. You know, tenant demand is changing and it has been for a number of years now. And they have much higher expectations in terms of location, quality um, and amenities than ever before. And I think this is where the more traditional buy-to-let market is simply failing to adapt. So, for example, build to rent offers more communal facilities, you know, more live workspace, which I think is more important now than ever due to the pandemic. But also look into the future and post-pandemic. I think naturally a lot of companies will now move to a more flexible working system. So to have workspace amenities outside of their own apartment, but at the same time easily accessible and within the the same building where they live allows these tenants to achieve that really important work-life balance. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I think, as you say, with most companies embracing a mix of home and office working, it maintains that need for central locations, but also a real need for co-working space. So people can can work from home without being restricted to their apartments. I know in my apartment building, I really do make use of that co-working space. So other facilities are becoming increasingly important today as well, aren't they? So what other amenities do we typically see in build-to-rent properties that will appeal to this aspirational renter demographic? Yeah, I absolutely agree, Amber. So with features like um, fast Wi-Fi, outdoor space, uh, gyms, fitness studios, even down to a, you know, a pet-friendly environment, all these things are now really important to tenants when they're choosing where to put down their roots for, in a lot of cases, the next few years. And this is, of course, something that traditional buy-to-let properties simply can't offer. Um, and I do think this is a trend accelerated by COVID-19 due to our lives now revolving around our homes so much more so than they were at any other time. So I think with everything Mm. taken into account, it's fair to say that build to rent, in my opinion, is the future of the property investment market in the UK and certainly an area where investors should now be looking for the best returns, both now and in the future. 
Okay, so as you just mentioned, build to rent is the future of residential property investment because it meets today's tenants' demands. But let's talk about the student property market. So whereas historically, investing in student property typically meant buying a house of multiple occupancy or a HMO for the purpose of this podcast, but student demand is also changing, isn't it? So tell me about the student property market today. Yeah, absolutely, Amber. As you just mentioned, I mean, similar to what we've just been discussing about the private rental sector evolving, we have seen over, I'd say, the past five to 10 years, the same kind of shift in the student accommodation market. And this has now opened up huge new opportunities for investors looking to capitalize on this trend and generate much higher average yields from their investments by moving into the purpose-built market from the HMO market. So the more traditional type of student property investment has typically been within the HMO market or house of multiple occupation, which you pointed out, which is essentially where a number of people, a lot of the time students, are living under one roof in, say, um, a house renting on a room by room basis, but without any facilities um, and a shared kitchen and often also a shared bathroom as well. And therefore, the individual room rental amounts achievable with this model are more restricted. Similarly to some of the old halls residence provided by universities as well, this type of accommodation just doesn't now fit with the requirements of modern day students, both domestic and international. At the end of the day, they're investing a lot of money into their UK education and they equally want, you know, a safe, secure, modern, well-equipped environment to study and live within. And they want to be able to meet, you know, other people and socialise with other like-minded students, maybe students off their own course. They want to be able to access things like free bike hire, gyms, cinema rooms, games areas, and also, you know, study areas to enhance their overall experience while they're at university. And similar to the build to rent sector, they're prepared to pay a premium to do so. Absolutely. And as you say, for international students, especially that sort of community and socialization aspect is going to be all the more important. So you've covered the changing expectations of today's students, but how do you think HMOs compare from an investment perspective with the purpose-built student accommodation sector? Yeah, it's a really good question. Well, what we've seen over the past, I'd say just over 10 years, is that the the purpose-built sector is one of the UK's highest performing investment asset classes now. It's produced consistently strong returns, regardless of economic and political changes in the market, which are always going to be there. And also demand still far exceeds supply, which, of course, also helps to drive rentals in this market. Um, Quite interestingly, currently only approximately 25% of students can actually access a bed in purpose-built student accommodation across the UK. Now, that's not to say that you can't get good returns, of course, in the HMO market too. And I think there definitely is a place for that type of investment in the market. But I think investors just need to be aware that there is inherently more risk with that model. The students also don't necessarily commit to paying rental all year round with HMOs during summer months, for example, as they do with purpose-built student accommodation, which requires a year-round commitment from the student. Okay, great. So let's talk about management, because this is something that comes up quite often from investors. Could you explain a bit about the difference between the management aspect of each of these student accommodation types? Yeah, of course. And I think that's a really good point. So purpose-built student accommodation is operated by a central management team. So it's completely hands-off and hassle-free in that sense from the investor's perspective. And this makes it ideal for people who can't or simply don't want to be full-time landlords. And also naturally for overseas investors who can't be here to, you know, to run something physically themselves. 
With a HMO investment, the landlord would have to be very hands-on with running and managing their property, everything through from finding their tenants, ensuring it meets with correct industry standards as a HMO. Um, and this simply isn't viable for a lot of people. So they do require a lot more time and energy to run as an investment. And just a final point to make on this is that Investors should bear in mind also that the HMO market is now becoming much more uh, highly regulated and landlords now require specific licenses in order to operate a property as a HMO. For example, many local councils across the UK are actively trying to discourage landlords from turning property into HMOs, as a lot of what used to be residential areas are now becoming, you know, in some cases, quite overrun with students and properties that could house families are in a lot shorter supply. Okay, so we touched on location in the residential sector and prime city centre locations, but when it comes to student property, does location matter as much? It absolutely does, Amber. And as a leading developer in the purpose-built student accommodation sector, we've always focused on prime city centre locations as these will in turn lead to higher levels of occupancy in our experience. So cities with a Russell Group University are also key to attracting tenants as demand for university places in these cities and therefore accommodation will always be higher in these locations, you know, due mainly to the fact that they are recognised on an international level. Because within the purpose-built student accommodation sector, the buildings have also been specifically developed for the sole purpose of housing students, the location of these buildings tends to be a lot better naturally as well, and proximity to the campus for the students is, is much closer in general. HMOs, due to their very nature of being you know, converted houses, tend to be on the outskirts of cities more you know, in the suburbs and more in residential areas. Okay, great. So we can definitely see that high quality purpose built properties across both the residential and the student sector are the best investments, as ultimately they directly respond to the demands of today's tenants. So I know this is a difficult question because there are so many factors, but for people listening who might be considering making a property investment and aren't sure whether to go for the residential or student sector, which would you say is the most favourable option or the most attractive sector to investors? Well, it's a golden question, isn't it? And I think, um, as we've discussed today, um, both built-to-rent and purpose-built student accommodation in prime city centre locations are a lucrative investment opportunity for 2021 and beyond. I'd say... In summary, it really does just depend, Amber, on the investors' objectives as to which is best for them individually. You know, for example, a lot of people we, we speak to like to diversify um, and achieve a healthy balance across different sectors. So they'll maybe look at a combination of both, for example. I think the key features to bear in mind are that purpose-built student accommodation is more of, um, you know, a completely hands-off, fully managed, yield-based investment, mainly bought for the purpose of holding long-term as an additional income supplement, whereas buy-to-let naturally offers more capital growth and can be bought with the use of finance. We would also advise people naturally to seek their own independent advice and carry out their own research, of course, into the various types of opportunities available to them before deciding the route that they ultimately want to take. Great. And as you say, with any investment, it's always important to have a clear understanding of your objectives first and foremost. Um, and that's why it's always great for developers to work on a consultative approach um, and really starting with your objectives, budget and asking all of those key questions so they can recommend the best options for you. So, Heather, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Amber. 
And for everyone listening, thank you for joining us on our second podcast. If you found it useful and want to stay up to date with the market, subscribe on your platform of choice. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. (laughs) 